0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
1: Yes. Coming to you live from Kalamata and the beautiful Elite City Resort Hotel here in Kalamata, Greece, overlooking the Messinian Bay. Not sure if you can hear in the background as the sun is just coming up here. Uh, rooster's... It is a, a very familiar sound uh, early in the morning all over the city. Even though you're rated smack dab, we're smack dab in the middle of Kalamata. Uh, many people have uh, roosters and chickens. And uh, so that's how you wake up in the morning. One does not need an alarm, believe me. <laughs> it's a gentle way to wake up. I love the sound of the roosters. I'm going to miss that when I leave here eventually. But uh, uh, coming, uh, as I say, live from the Elite City Resort, which is a beautiful facility, uh, just steps away from the uh, the beach and the uh, the Messinian Bay in the Mediterranean Sea and the uh, the hotel itself has a, a beautiful uh, uh, swimming pool and uh, tennis courts and uh, conference center where I'm broadcasting from. Uh, so everything you need is right here. plus you've got the mountains in the background, so you've got your sandwich between the sea and the Tahito mountains. what more? do you uh, possibly need, and the the staff here, incredibly uh, friendly and and helpful. And of course, you've got the the famous Greek hospitality, which I'm experiencing on a daily basis, not only here at the hotel, but just uh, in Kalamata, and uh, uh, took the boys uh, to uh, Pilos, which is a uh, a little uh, town not too far from here, and uh, drove up into the mountains, and we all got out and hiked for about 15 minutes. Found ourselves at this beautiful waterfall. We'd been told about it. We went there with the uh, friends of the family, Peter Buffas and his uh, lovely wife Helen and their children, Iris and Marianne. They took us uh, to the uh, the waterfall. Quite a trek to get to this place, but well worth it, believe me. And uh, lots of uh, sort of treacherous rocks to climb over. Eventually, we got there, and uh, I dove in. Talk about a wake-up call! Imagine swimming in. Uh, pure mountain water. And you can imagine how cold that would be. Uh, you know, normally they say, hey, once you get in, it's fine. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you do not acclimatize to that kind of uh, frigid water. Uh, but in an experience I will not forget, neither will the boys. Had a great time. On the way up there, I saw something very interesting. Uh, keep in mind, we're in the mountains. We're hiking through the woods on the way to the waterfall. And we went over this little bridge, and there were... If you're listening, Mighty Aphrodite, close your ears because she has uh, an extreme arachnophobia. Uh, there were huge, some of the largest spiders I've ever seen, with some of the most beautiful, intricate spider webs anywhere. So we went over this bridge, and uh, Peter Buffaeus said, Stop, look there. We looked to our left. There, in the middle of this enormous spider web, was a bee or a wasp, quite a large one. And it was in a titanic struggle for its life because it had been ensnared, of course, in the spider web. And this large spider, larger than the wasp, in fact, uh, came racing down into the middle of the web and attacked this wasp. And there was this struggle going on. And I don't know, somewhere in there I'm thinking there's this metaphor be- be- between what's going on uh, you know, with with. Greece and its economy, and the IMF, fourth, the European Central Bank, uh, and the um, the spider and the wasp. Uh, you choose which is the spider, and which is the wasp. Anyway, the spider won. Uh, lots going on here in uh, in beautiful uh, southern Greece. Uh, one of the things that has really struck me is how clear the night sky is, particularly uh, if you take a drive up in the Tejito Mountains and uh, some of the the villages there, the Horios. The night skies are brilliant. You don't get the light pollution, particularly if you're sort of facing away from from, uh, the lights in Kalamata, which is a sizable city, probably somewhere in the order of uh, 90 or 100,000 more during tourist season. But the night skies up in the mountains are spectacular. And uh, I'm I'm now taking the time when I go up there to look skyward and spend a few moments and see if I can see some... uh, Strange aerial phenomena uh, haven 't yet, but uh, you know for the first time in a long time i 've got the time to actually just look up in the sky and uh, i 'm going to speak with a gentleman now who spends a lot of time looking up in the sky, and he is sincere in his belief that what 's behind the UFO phenomenon is in fact a spiritual reality we We tend to focus on some of the negative aspects associated with uh, UFOs and ET contact, such as the alien abduction phenomenon, and we'll we'll certainly touch on that. Uh, But uh, Dick Larson is with us. He joined us a couple of weeks ago to talk about Maitreya, the world teacher. He's back with us again, and I'm sure there'll be some dovetailing uh, with that topic. But we're talking now about... The Spiritual Reality Behind the UFO Phenomenon, Dick Larson, as I say, is a counselor with a background in education who addresses the ageless wisdom teachings, meditation, and practical spirituality. He's been a guest on radio talk shows nationwide, co-hosted a radio program himself, and produced and hosted a series of public access television shows that currently air around the nation. He resides in Los Angeles, California. A great pleasure to welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, Dick Larson. Hey, Dick, how are you?
2: I'm well, Richard. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. You know, I ha- I really enjoyed uh, being on the show with you last time, and I'm glad to be back. You put a smile on my face with the description of your environs there in Greece. My, how beautiful!
1: Yeah, uh, it-, it is breathtaking. Uh, and uh, as I say, the night skies—I think you'd enjoy them here.
2: Oh um, my It, it, it must bet. be a challenge. It must be
1: a challenge living in Southern California, with the urban sprawl there and so forth. To to actually be able to look up into the night sky and see much of anything. Where where do you go if you're looking if you want to see uh, some UFO activity? Where do you go, Dick?
2: Well, I'm fortunate. I live in Orange County, south of Los Angeles. I'm about a mile and a half from the beach, so the ocean breezes blow most of the smog and clouds inland, and I actually have a pretty clear view of the sky most nights. Um, but you're right. When you're in when you're in Los Angeles proper. Um, first of all, the city lights just hide so many of the lights in the sky because they 're dimmer by comparison and and then you, and then, if you have a cloud cover or if it, if the smog is particularly bad that day it 's it 's pretty rough to see much up there um, but I have a pretty clear view most every night is there something
1: um special about people who are able to see UFOs. I mean, many people look up at the night sky. I've never seen one. Many people spend a lot of time looking up at the night sky, and they don't see anything. Or if they do, they, they soon recognize, okay, that's a satellite, or that's a, uh, a jet, or a comet, or what have you. But those people that, and I get emails from, from, from lots of people who see ET or UFOs on a regular basis. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, is there something special about those people and perhaps you're one of those people.
2: Well, um, the only thing that I'm aware of that might be special about them is, number one, they may ask the space people to appear to them. And space people have been known to respond to human thought. They're more advanced than we are um, evolutionary-wise. And so they are, many of them, most of them, I understand, are telepathic, at least the ones that are allowed to travel. You know, the the bad guys aren't allowed to travel. They can't leave the planet. There was a time when they could, eons ago, but not anymore. They're, they're grounded. Um, so, th- so the ones who are traveling around us, and they're up there in the thousands all the time, and I'll talk in a little bit about why we don't see them most of the time, but the only thing that I would say that people have in common is, number one, they're not afraid of them. They don't want to scare anybody. They're not here to cause harm. They're not here to scare people or frighten people. So if if they think people are afraid or they appear to somebody and they are afraid of them, they'll disappear very quickly, usually, Um, number one. Number two, those people, like I said, might invite them. The the third thing is it takes some patience. One must be patient. Uh, If you're going to look for our space travelers out there, you have to to spend a little time at it. Um, You can't just glance up and expect to see one. It's probably not going to happen that way. But if people ask, if, if there would you please appear to me space people or whatever um, over time they will probably respond because they know they're not going to scare that person they're not going to be afraid um, and, and so that's really about it as far as I know
1: how did you become uh, convinced what was your aha moment if you would uh, regarding the intention uh the intentions of the the uh these e.t. civilizations in other words when when did you make up your mind that they they mean us no harm and that they are in fact here to uh... to enlighten and, and and assist humanity
2: a couple things um... first uh... george adamsky a-d-a-m-s-k-y has written a couple books and co-wrote uh... about his experiences with the space brothers and sisters the space people um... several years ago <clears throat> and. That was a very harmless, um, actually kind of a spiritual trip to go on, including a very knowledgeable trip to go on to read some of his books. I'm not sure they're still in print, but I think used copies can be found of George Adamski's writing. He also took some very detailed photos. Um, back in those days, detailed photos were very rare. Um, and The frauds were easy to spot. Um, but, but more than Adamsky, a man named Benjamin Krem, I'll spell his last name, it's C-R-E-M-E, He lives in London, um, and he's written about 15 books that are available on Amazon.com, and one of them is called The Gathering of the Forces of Light, UFOs and Their Spiritual Mission. And I have been reading Benjamin Krem for years. I've seen him um, at lectures here in Los Angeles. He has come every year for over 35 years. Um, I've gone to meditation events with Benjamin Krem um, up in the mountains in San Francisco, Um, almost every year for many years now, and I've I've become convinced that he's one of the most evolved spiritual people I know. Um, Everything he said has come to pass um, in, in forms of prophecy and so on. And so when I read this book, The Gathering of the Forces of Light by Benjamin Krem, which is available on Amazon if people are interested, it just made sense to me. I mean, the way he spoke about about their purpose in being here, the 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 reasons behind their mission here, and why we can see them and why we can't see them, and what they're doing, and and so on, it just all made sense to me. Um, that, that I have. The other thing is, I I actually saw one um, UFO. I've seen it several times um, outside my home, outside my kitchen window, <laughs> um, and and it. I asked it to move, and it did. I asked it to change colors, and it did. I filmed it changing colors um, and, and so on. So I know they're there, that I've had a direct experience of them that couldn't have been an airplane. And, and I, I trust Benjamin Krem's writing because, not because I believe in him or anything like that, but it just makes sense to me.
1: All right, uh, Dick, I've got to jump in here. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, coming to you live from the Elite City Resort in Kalamata, Greece. Dick Larson on the line talking UFOs and their spiritual mission. Stay with us. And welcome back, coming to you live from the Elite City Resort Hotel in Kalamata, Greece, where I've been now for nearly two and a half weeks and uh, just having a, a, a wonderful time, not just a relaxing time, but really a profound uh, time and a profound experience um, uh, here with my uh, my twin boys and also my nephew uh, uh, Nick, also having a great time. But just the uh, I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's 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 sort of a quasi spiritual experience as you drive around this beautiful country and everywhere you step, you're cognizant, of course, that uh, you're, you're you're stepping. On history, ancient, ancient uh, artifacts, probably uh, just a few feet below your uh, your every step, uh, and uh, and of course, the uh, the night skies, as I mentioned earlier, are just spectacular here. You mean, you really must uh, come down. We we all know that the the situation in Greece is economically speaking is not good. Things uh, in Athens, in particular, where nearly half of the nation's ten or eleven million people reside, in the greater Athens area, uh, but here in, in, in the south, in Kalamata, uh, and uh, uh, along the, um, the Peloponnesian uh, coast, it's a very different situation. You, you don't get the sense that uh, the country is in such turmoil. Yes, uh, you know, work is hard to come by, but people are getting by. They're not complaining. And uh, the tourists are flocking here, um, uh, in particular uh, Kalamata. A, because of the situation in Athens, uh, and things are much more calm here. And B, uh, if you're thinking about going to the islands, you might want to reconsider. The, uh, I was told earlier today that the, the, the price of catching a ferry to one of the islands is something like 400 euros. And uh, that's just gone, uh, the, the price has gone through the roof. So for many people, that's just not an option. So if you don't want to go to Athens and you don't want to go to the islands, you must come. To the Peloponnesian region and Kalamata in particular, you will not be disappointed, I guarantee it. A, uh, a vacation of a lifetime. all right, Dick Larson is with us as we're talking about the spiritual reality behind the UFO phenomenon. Uh, Dick earlier you mentioned that the I guess the, uh, the malcontents in the uh, in the galaxy, the, uh, those who might consider doing us harm uh, are forbidden from venturing out into space. They're, they're banned from interstellar space travel. Uh, A, how did you come by that knowledge? And B, uh, who sort of gives that permission?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I didn't mean the galaxy. I meant our solar system. Um, my information uh, is that the, the spaceships are all from our solar system. A lot of people think they're from Sirius or or the Pleiades or somewhere, and, and my information is that's not the case. They all come from planets within our solar system. There is humanity throughout all of cosmos, and all of our planets have humanity on them. They're just not all in solid physical bodies like we are here on Earth. There are different levels of solid physical. So the ones who decide are, are the leaders of their planets. There's, there's an interplanetary commission, um, a federation, a confederation of planets, there's an interplanetary government of which the spiritual masters, the, some call them ascended masters, they're, they're the great people that have gone through evolution ahead of us and have, have stuck around to guide humanity from behind the scenes and inspire humanity on all the planets. There's a spiritual hierarchy. The The spiritual kingdom has different levels of responsibility, just like our planetary kingdom does. And those spiritual representatives from each of the planets who are in charge of the evolution, of overseeing the evolution of that planet, um, get together about every 250 years, is my information. And the reason they're coming here is because we're in trouble. Planet Earth is in trouble. We, uh, we can't stop polluting. We're killing the planet. We can't stop killing each other. Wars. And we've gotten off the path we need help and they are here just like if you get a sore in your body somewhere the rest of the body rushes in to help they're here at the invitation of our planetary hierarchy the spiritual masters that are overseeing the plan for planet earth every every planet has a plan um... and they are here at their invitation to help and that's part of their mission here It's a mission of mercy they're here our planet would be uninhabitable if they weren't here mopping up pollution in their giant ships 24 hours a day, year after year after year after year. They're mopping up pollution to help keep the planet alive until we wake up, Richard, until we wake up and see that we need to get a grip on this. We would not be able to live here if they weren't doing this. Now, they can't clean the whole thing up because it's not their mess. The law of karma will only allow them to clean up so much. But, I mean, they're working diligently on our behalf. We owe them a great debt, and we don't even know it so that's one of the parts of their mission is pollution
1: that's interesting you mentioned that because uh, I'm not sure where this information came from whether it was uh, a listener who emailed me or uh, in in any case uh, reports of UFOs seen around chemtrails Uh, have you witnessed this?
2: they actually make what look like chemtrails but it's not it's it's mist but yeah they will make them they actually sometimes they make them to create art Sometimes they make them to let us know they're here, like they'll do a right angle. <laughs> you know, when you see a chemtrail in the sky that makes a right angle, that was a UFO. That wasn't some... That's yeah. right.
1: That's no C-10 <laughs> Hercules. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. But but the idea so, that that, so, that uh, we have this chemtrail phenomenon that some people believe is uh, being perpetrated by some nefarious government agency, whether it's to forestall global warming or whether they're trying to institute some sort of depopulation process, uh, uh, Project by you know spraying these deadly toxins into the air, and and uh, and so again the idea is that if these U F O S are being seen around these types of chemtrails, uh, perhaps it's their intention to clean those up.
2: Yeah, it, well, it could very well be. Absolutely, I don't think that's going on myself. Um, I think there are chemtrails, but I think it's from from craft from our from the developed countries um, that are just making a mess out of our atmosphere. Um, but. And certain different experiments, I'm sure, are going on, too, but I don't think that there's a plot to, to depopulate the planet or anything like that. But, yes, they are. The biggest pollution that they're cleaning up, though, Richard, and this is something we are completely unaware of at this point, according to Benjamin Krem, who's in contact with the with not only with the spiritual hierarchy of our planet, but with these space brothers and sisters. He's ridden, flown with them many, many times. Um, you can't fly with them in the body. You have to fly with them out of the body, and, and so your consciousness goes with them. It's kind of interesting. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, the biggest pollution is um, nuclear pollution. We're, we're, our science is crude, to, to say the least, and our scientific instruments only measure solid matter up to a certain point. But there's that. we are aware of three levels of solid matter, solid, liquid, and gas. That's physical matter as far as our science knows. But there are actually four more levels above gas. And like most gases, they're invisible. You can't smell them, you can't touch them, you can't see them, but it's physical. That's what the space people are made out of. That's what their craft, the UFOs, are made out of. They're made out of, it's called etheric. It's called the four levels of etheric physical. Our scientists have discovered the edges of it. They call it dark matter. Right, right. That's actually etheric physical. You can't is see it. Which about 95% that's of the universe. Somebody who has matters. etheric vision can see it.
1: Right, and that this dark matter is 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 about uh, something on the order of about 95% of the universe. I mean, that's absolutely. Uh, Yes,
2: absolutely. Everything is etheric physical. That's why they can be on planets that are cold, they can be on planets that are hot, because they're in etheric physical, they're not in solid physical bodies like we are. We would boil or, or freeze, but they don't. And that's why we can't see all the UFOs up there all the time, is because they're etheric. And then when they want us to see them, they simply lower the vibration of their craft so that it, it becomes solid physical temporarily, can't stay that way because that's not its natural state. But they lower the vibration of the craft, and it just appears. And then and if they want to disappear, they can either fly away at the speed of light, you know, as fast as possible, or they just simply raise the vibration of the craft again, and poof, it disappears. They fly their craft by thought. Their machinery and science and technology is so advanced that they don't push buttons or pull levers to fly their UFOs. They simply think it, and the the machinery the, the in the UFO respond to, to human thought. Gotcha. So humanity throughout cosmos. They just don't all look like us unless they want to. Right. I got to ask they you. They can become question. solid physical. They can't stay that way for years and years and years, but but they can become solid physical for a while, walk around. They look like us. They don't Understood. have one eye and tentacles. There's no monsters out there. They look like us. Now, some are taller, some are shorter. The Venusians, for example, are, are, are usually taller than us. They're 6 feet plus, and the Martians are smaller. Um, because there's so many of them, and it's a small planet. There's there's more people on Mars. There's about nine billion people on Mars, and Mars is a smaller planet than us. So guess what? They're smaller. <laughs> you know, well, therefore, that, that, that raises a
1: great point, Dick, because um, you, you mentioned the the Martians and the Venetians, and we've yeah. got the uh, you know the rover up there on Mars right now. Uh, if there are nine billion inhabitants of of Mars. Uh, you know, even if they are in an etheric form, why, why is no, why no sign of them? Are they living under the surface of Mars? Are they living uh, on the surface but are undetectable?
2: They're on the surface, undetectable to any camera or any equipment that we have because it doesn't have etheric vision. But they're there. I mean, if if the camera had etheric vision, it would see buildings and people all over the place. Um, the, the the people that have etheric vision and are in etheric physical bodies like the space brothers and sisters <clears throat> I purposely don't call them aliens that's part of that sixty-year conspiracy that you mentioned in your in your wonderful introduction uh, by the by the governments of the world trying to get us to hate them and be afraid of them and think they don't exist you know they don't exist but they're harmful <laughs> you know it's I mean oh man the government right. has said so many things that aren't true well us a huge cover-up those it's things. so unnecessary it's just silly you know, well, let's run the through camera through. can't see them, but they're there. They're okay. there um, run, run in a yeah, if we could,
1: let's run through some of those misconceptions or sure. these uh, uh, lies, I guess, being perpetrated. Uh, about ETs and and uh let me go back to Roswell in 1947 because those in the yeah. UFO disclosure movement and I don't know if you're sympathetic with any of those groups or not but they point to you know July 47 and they say this is where the government basically shut things down and decided that they were going to put a lid on 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 uh, you know UFO information. Yes. Uh, was there a crashed disk? Uh, at two crash discs at Roswell. Did Roswell happen?
2: There was one. There was one. It was a Martian UFO, and it had three people on it. One of them was a pregnant woman. And they they were Martians, and they purposely became solid physical in their bodies and the craft. They purposely crashed it. It was a sacrifice by those three Martians on purpose to let us know they're here. So what does our government do? Covers it up. I mean, it was a tragedy what our government did. Our government covered up this crash that was. There are videos. There's there's actual film of the autopsies on YouTube. The black and white film. That's the actual Martian bodies being autopsied. Now there's a, a couple fake ones, but there's a there's a couple real ones that are actually on YouTube that's real but their bodies can't be found now and their craft can't be found now because they have returned to etheric physical so you'd never find pieces of the craft anymore or or their bodies anywhere because they're etheric they return to their natural state after uh, several several days of death um, and after the crash well but right. it was real absolutely it was real and that cover-up right. was just horrible
1: why cover this up? What, what's the, the intention here? Why are they keeping this information from us?
2: Yeah, my my theory behind that, um, and your listeners, please, I want your listeners to not feel like they have to believe anything I say. I'm just putting this out there, and they can take it for what it's worth. But my theory behind this is, is a couple things. Number one, if we knew that there are wonderful, loving, intelligent people with an evolution far beyond and a technology far beyond ours out there available to help us we wouldn't pay any attention to our leaders we would want to talk to them and all of the all of the world's leaders would lose their power and their influence instantly i mean it would be political suicide to admit that they're out there if you ask me
1: Right, that makes sense. Um, that makes sense. You
2: know, and, and, and they're not going to land on the White House lawn and, and their leader come out and meet President Obama or anything. That's not, that's not their deal. This isn't their planet. They're going to work mostly behind the scenes. They want us to know they're there so that we won't be afraid of them. That's why they do things like the crop circles that are all over the planet in well,
1: let's these talk corn about crop circles that, that when people we come back. They can't figure out we'll how have... they
2: bend over the corn and, and the crops and they tie it in knots and it still doesn't break it. It's still alive.
1: No, it's an amazing, amazing, we'll talk about crop circles when we come back. Uh, Dick, will take yeah. a time out. The Conspiracy Show coming to you live from the Elite City Resort Hotel in beautiful Kalamata, Greece. Stay with us. Ah, yes, a little Zorba, the Greek, bringing us back in as we broadcast live from the Elite City Resort Hotel in Kalamata, Greece. Uh, Dick Larson is uh, with us uh, for a few moments yet as we discuss the spiritual reality behind uh, UFOs, and we were discussing the alien abduction phenomenon. And granted, uh, the uh, various forces within governments, uh, whether it's in the UK or in the the United States, have been known to uh, create... Uh, um, hoaxes, but there are there are individuals, uh, countless individuals, who have been traumatized. They are not, I believe, you know, paid to tell these stories. In fact, their memories were, are are, re- are recovered under hypnosis. What has happened to them? What, what, what's going on there?
2: I think that most of those people are very sincere. I think there are a few people who love attention. Number one. Certainly. um... The short answer. Um, I think that most of the other people are very sincere, and some of them, Richard, honestly, have just very active imaginations. Um, And some people, like I said, like attention. Some people have experiences when they're sleeping. They have dreams that they think are real when they wake up. They think it really happened. They're absolutely convinced it happened. You talk to them, and they are so sincere. Some of them are the sweetest, nicest, most innocent people you'd ever want to meet. I personally don't think this is happening. I don't think it's happening. I think it comes from a lot of hype, and, um, and I think that um, some of the people with the most sincere intentions are just, are mistake, they're mistaken about their experience. First of all, a physical human being can't go on an etheric spacecraft, it's physically impossible.
1: Do you think it's so, possible that in some of these cases, false memories have been implanted by some government agency?
2: well oh, i wouldn't doubt that at all i mean it's it's amazing the ex, the extent to which our our governments have gone slaughtering cattle we know we know there are government agencies that have done that now the president doesn't know about all this stuff i mean these are these are agencies deep inside deep deep inside the black agencies in the in the united states and other countries that are doing this kind of thing and they're kind of turned loose to say go go do this go discredit them make things look bad so they slaughter cattle they blame it on. They turn in the news reports, you know, done by UFOs. Witnesses saw it. That, all that kind of stuff's been going on for, like we, like you said earlier, about 60 years. Um, and and I just, I just, in my heart of hearts, um, I just don't think that's the nature of the space brothers that are here now. This may have happened a long time ago to some people, but um, I personally don't think they're doing any of that stuff. I think they're right. here on a rescue mission. They love us. Um, most of the most of the crews are from Venus, and by the way, the, they're not Venetians. That's the blinds. They're Venusians. <laughs> <Venetian>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and most of the craft yeah. are from most Mars most and Venus, <laughs> and Mars is the manufacturing planet for basically for our solar system. They love to build things, and they're very very good at it. About ninety percent of all the UFOs in our solar system are built by the Martians to the specifications of whatever planet is ordering them. Isn't that cool?
1: That's that, that's very cool. Uh, I have I have another couple of quick points I want to cover before we get to the uh, I guess the meat of the matter, and that is you know where is this all leading? But first, before we get there, reports of recovered UFOs from crash sites where they've been taken supposedly to either Hangar 18 at uh, at um, in uh, Ohio Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio or uh, Area 51. What are your What are your thoughts? Are those reports? Uh, apocryphal or true
2: I think some of them are probably true I mean I think they're doing just about everything they can to let us know they're here again, its original state is is etheric physical so they're not going to be able to hang on to that crash material forever but but I think some of that is probably true and, and being covered up You know, I mean, these UFOs are everywhere. They go in the ocean to clean up pollution. They go into the ground to clean up pollution. They're etheric. They can go anywhere they want to. I understand one of the main bases, UFO bases, under the ocean is between L.A. and Catalina Island. And there have been pictures of UFOs coming out of the ocean, coming out of the water out there. It's pretty cool. They can go anywhere they want to, and they're cleaning up this pollution. I wanted to mention the nuclear pollution there's etheric nuclear energy which is the highest and worst pollution leaking out of all of the nuclear plants in the world and our instruments are too crude to measure it because it's not solid physical it's etheric physical energy and my information is that that nuclear pollution alone is largely responsible for the earlier and earlier incidents of Alzheimer's that we're seeing number one and number two for the extreme increase in incidence of autistic children being born. It used to be one in like 18,000, and now it's one in 80 kids born are autistic. It's nuclear pollution that we don't even know is there because it's, because it's etheric, and our instruments are too crude to measure it. That's right. what the spacecraft have been mopping up, trying to keep us alive and keep our planet alive. We need to shut those things down right away.
1: Uh, in the very near future i 'll be doing a program on uh, the Apollo eleven uh, lunar landing. Of course, uh, we just passed the uh, the forty third anniversary of that uh, event, and there are of course those who still maintain that we never landed on the moon now if i 'm hearing you correctly i mean we 're obviously not very good cosmic neighbors, and you mentioned that the uh, various spiritual councils on these other planets in the solar system make the decision when that civilization is allowed to venture forth and engage in, in, in interstellar uh, travel. One then might conclude that we're not fit to uh, for interstellar travel, which would lead me to the question, do you believe then that we actually did land on the moon? Would we be allowed to land on oh, the moon?
2: Oh, sure. Basically, the moon is a dead, uh, dead, my information is that it's basically a dead object. It used to have life. I understand there are still little creatures, kind of like a rabbit um, and, and kind of like a rat, that are still um, on the moon. That's the only life on the moon, and that it basically doesn't serve any purpose anymore. Of course, my information is that they're enthused about our, our adventures into space. They just don't want it to be military. They're, they're and excited are they a little, they a
1: little nervous about uh, our landing probes on Mars?
2: No, not at all. They they're, they they just stand by and watch with, uh, with amusement. Um, I mean, they, they think it's wonderful that we're that we want to reach out. That makes them feel more welcome here. You know, it 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 makes them feel like we'll be more open to them and receptive to them. Um, so no, they're very excited about it. They just don't want it to be used for military purposes, obviously. Got it, got it. Now, if we have another nuclear war, it's over. I mean, this planet is gone. We, the evolution on planet Earth would have to start over. That would set back the evolution of the entire solar system. So, right now, I can tell you right now, my information is absolutely for a fact if somebody tried to launch a nuclear missile on planet Earth, the Space Brothers would not allow it. The, one of the things they're really good at is electricity, and things would short out and they just wouldn't work. It would not launch
1: we've well, we had Robert, uh, Captain, uh, Air Force Captain Robert Salas on the program talking about his experiences at Melstrom Air Force Base back in, the, in uh, I believe, 1967, when uh, a number of U.S. air servicemen witnessed UFOs flying over the base, and then the ICBMs went uh, offline, quote quote uh, There have been a number of, uh, uh, of stories like that, so there, 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 it seems that there's some truth to that. Uh, I guess in, in, as we approach the finish line here, let's, let's talk about what, uh, how this is going to, uh, to end, it seems like. This is sort of coming to a head. We, we have an increased, uh, increased sightings of UFO activity. Uh, where is this all leading? Are, uh, is there, is there a, a happy ending?
2: Yes, there is, definitely. Um, they're peaceful. They're loving. They're intelligent. They want to help but they don't want to infringe. They want to work behind the scenes as much as possible. There was a, 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 a space brother actually gave advice to, to, was asked to give advice to JFK during the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. He thought he was a military aide, but he wasn't. He was a space brother. Some of the Space Brothers, what they've done is they've, taken, they've put their souls in human bodies. They can, they can do that. They can take a Venusian soul and have it be born in a, in a normal human body. So there are about two or 3,000 um, um, space people walking amongst us that look just like us. You wouldn't know the difference. One of them, for example, was George Adamski. The difference was instead of a belly button, he had a bunch of lights coming out of his stomach there, and he had to keep them covered up. But, but other than that, they look just like us, and they're here to help. So the future is this. The first thing that's going to happen is they are going to help the world teacher come forward. I mentioned earlier that he's the head of the spiritual hierarchy for our planet. Every 2,000 years, we get a great teacher to come and bring the next revelation. He's here walking amongst us now, waiting for the right time to come forward. Um, he will come forward on all the media, all the radio and television. The Space Brothers are here to help that happen. They're going to make sure that all the satellites are working, the communication satellites are working, because that's what they're up there for for this event. He's going to appear on television, and people will know it, see him when he speaks to us for about 45 minutes or whatever. In three ways, he's not. A, comes to, he doesn't come to start a religion. He doesn't come to save the world. We have to do the work. He comes to teach. He comes to make suggestions. And there are three ways people will know it's him, and then and then we'll go from there. Number one, people will hear his words in their head, but his, they'll see him on TV, but his lips won't move. It'll be telepathic. They'll hear his words in their head in their native language. Number two, while he's speaking, people will feel the love of God in their heart like they've never felt it before. Trust the love in your heart. The Antichrist can't do that if that's a concern. And number three, after he's done speaking, he'll talk about the history of the world. He'll talk about where we've gone wrong. He'll talk about the beautiful future in front of us, and and he'll make some suggestions about how we can get things back on track. And after he's done speaking, there will be reports around the world that, that while he was speaking, hundreds of thousands of people were miraculously healed. And in those three ways, we'll know it's the world teacher. The Space Brothers will come forward and confirm that this is a good person. He's here to help us. Um, and then he will introduce, for example, he will introduce Jesus, who is, who is back, um, and will head up the Christian church. There won't be any more popes. He will take his rightful place at the head of the Christian church and try to get that back on track. There will be other masters that will help in science, in, in the human, human social services, health care, every aspect of life. We will be getting advice if we follow it. Nobody's going to force us to do anything. There's not going to be a one world government. Um, all the countries have a personality and they all contribute to the whole. That won't change. Um, but then the Space Brothers will become more active. Their first thing is they don't want to steal any thunder from the world teacher. So once the world teacher comes forward, then the space brothers will come forward much more openly. Benjamin Krem has said that if you talk to one of the space brothers, especially one of the Venusians, they're so advanced that you would think you you were talking to a god. That's how advanced they are. They're pure love. Venus, you know, planets go through evolution just like human beings do. Each planet has seven rounds. A round is millions of years. Planet Earth is in the middle of the fourth round. We have a long time to go. It's in the middle of the fourth round that the people on the planet start to wake up, and that's why they're visiting us now, to help us wake up. Venus is in the seventh round. It's almost a perfect planet. It's almost a perfected planet. That's how advanced the people on Venus. Mars is at the same advancement we are, but their technology is way, way ahead of us, way ahead of us. And so technologically, Mars is a very strong planet. But, no, it's an exciting time to be alive, Richard. It really isn't exciting. There's a law called the Law of Equilibrium. And what that means is that however bad it's been, that's how good it's going to get. So we have a wonderful time ahead of us. We're, the World Teacher is going to help us take care of some real basic stuff, first of all, health care, food for everybody, housing for everybody, education for everybody, the basics. All right. I've got to jump
1: in here, Dick, and, uh, and put a bow on this. Listen, uh, a great pleasure. appreciate uh, you coming on with us again.
2: Thanks for having and, me, uh, Richard.
1: We'll talk again soon, I hope. I'd love Dick it. Dick Larson. Thanks. All right. Uh, hey, be sure to say hello on Twitter, at Richard S-Y-R-E-T-T. And as always, I encourage you to uh, visit the website, richardserrett.com, richardserrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T.com. And... As always, I encourage you.
0: Conspiracy show with Richard Seren from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
1: Yes, greetings from the Elite City Resort Hotel in Kalamata, Greece, where the uh, the sun is now up, and uh, just looking out my window here, looking out at the calm waters of the Messinian Bay. Looks like it's going to be another good one. After the show wraps, I am going to go and collect my uh, twin boys. They're uh, spending the morning over at uh, Theoiannis and Thea uh, uh the mighty Aphrodite's uh, aunt and uncle. And uh, they're in a, a location in Kalamata uh, where they've got about, I would say, a parcel of land, maybe an acre. It's essentially an orange grove. The property is covered in uh, um, uh, orange uh, trees, lemon trees. Uh, they've got chickens and turkeys running around. And it's the exact kind of of um experience i wanted to have my my, my boys uh, to to have uh they they go over there and they help collect the eggs in the morning and uh uh i mean you can you just you sit under a tree with your coffee and you reach up and you pull down a mandarin and that's your breakfast or an orange and peel it and that's your breakfast i mean it's just great and then uh you want a fresh egg well it's uh it's just a few uh, feet away uh it's just a glorious, uh, glorious country. The weather has been terrific. Uh, the um, the other day, we uh, we took my cousin or my nephew Nick. My ne- my cousin or my nephew Nick rather is uh, is traveling with us. Sixteen years old, and uh, a great uh, company. He's a real what they call a Phil Helen. He's half Greek. Uh, Mother is English, father's Greek, but he's really. Taken to the Greek culture, and he just studies it endlessly. He's learning to speak Greek on his own, so he's been invaluable in terms of uh, translating uh, for me with uh, the locals. And uh, he just he's totally thrown himself into uh, the culture and the history. So he's attending a wedding, or he did attend a wedding. We took him to uh, a, um, a city or a, a village called uh, Itio, which is in a Part of southern Greece called Laconia, and uh, on the way, traveling through the mountains, he was giving us this history lesson, and the boys in the back were very excited because they're totally uh, captivated by anything Spartan, the Spartan soldiers and the helmets and so forth. And Nick says, "Well, did you know that Ithio is where the Spartans, the ancient Spartans, kept their fleet? That's where they kept their ships in uh, this." this place called Ethiopia. So uh, we're driving along, and he starts to tell me about the Spartan creed, or the, one of their, their, uh, their sayings, which is, and this is something that the Spartan mothers told their sons as they headed off into battle, and it was this, a rather cryptic message. With it or on it? With it or on it? And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, the mothers told their sons, who were heading off into battle, when you, if you come back, you come back with it, meaning your shield. You come back with your shield, which I guess was sort of a metaphor or a way of saying, you come back victorious, or you come back on it. In other words, you come back on your shield, carried on your shield. This is how the Spartan uh, soldiers would return the dead back to Sparty, they would use the shield uh, as a litter to carry the dead bodies. It's a pretty stark, uh, dark thing to say to your child. You come back victorious, or you come back dead. But this was the Spartan uh, creed. And of course, their other big big, uh, saying was, you know, liberty or death, freedom or death. Which, of course, has been adopted as the state motto in places like New Hampshire. You can see it on their, their license plates. Uh, but um, uh, Greece, of course, the home of uh, democracy and uh, 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 philosophy, and so many other things. But but, uh, liberty and freedom, uh, paramount uh, to the uh, the ancient Spartans. So great to be uh, broadcasting live from the uh, the great city of Kalamata. Uh, we just recently, of course, passed the 43rd anniversary of the Apollo. 11 lunar landing. And, of course, there are uh, still many, many uh, people out there who insist that we never got to the moon, that the entire Apollo program was window dressing a, uh, a hoax perpetrated by the national, um, or uh, 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 perpetrated by NASA. And one such is a good friend uh, to the program, no stranger to the program, Nelson Thal. He's an authority on a number of uh, uh, things, uh, in particular the JFK assassination. He's been on this program many times to talk about uh, JFK. He's um, uh, a media scientist, as I say. He's also accompanied by Jane Steele, who's a playwright, researcher, writer, James Joyce scholar, She has produced and co-hosted the popular internet radio show, Shock Talk, with Bloom and Steele, since 2008, and it's a great pleasure to welcome in studio, back in Toronto, Nelson Thal and Jane Steele. How are you?
3: We're just great. It's great being here.
4: Tikanis Richard, from Toronto to you in Kalamata, Greece. Ah, Tikanis, yes. (laughs) Uh,
1: So, let's, you know, we've we've talked about this in the past many times, and, and Nelson, I know you've done... Probably 20 shows on uh, the the lunar landing hoax. In fact, I believe it was last year. You and I uh, spoke with um, uh, Morgan Reynolds talking about the uh, the lunar landing landing hoax. So we've talked about the evidence in the past, but I want to touch on some of those points again before we move into some of the other details.
3: Yeah. Well, it's midnight and the owners of the system are asleep, so we feel comfortable. We now can come out and play and explore. And, yeah, as you say, Richard, uh, Dr. Morgan Reynolds last year shared more state secrets that they hope you don't learn with us about it, and we, let's review it. But uh, certainly it shows, as R- Reynolds pointed out, that uh, people are very much out of touch with reality, and I feel we're very much in the same boat as um, the Flat Earth Society uh, opponents uh, trying to explain to the Flat Earth Society believers, which was most of the world, that the Earth isn't flat.
1: Well, let's start with the evidence that we didn't get to the moon, we couldn't have gotten to the moon. And, and one of the, the first things that often comes up in these uh, discussions are the Van Allen belts, or, or the, it is the Van Allen Belt. And this was uh, this uh, radiation, the idea that this radiation out there that's, I guess, emitted by the Van Allen Belt is so intense that it would cause serious injury not only to the equipment, computers, and so forth, uh, but to, uh, to astronauts, let's talk about the Van Allen belts, uh, Nelson.
3: Yeah, Dr. Reynolds pointed out that there's two different belts, and uh, he was talking just technically and theoretically, but he knew that at the time that there's more than two bol- uh, belts. Isn't that that right, Mrs. Steele? And basically, these astronauts would be suffering severe radiation burns. Uh, they'd be vomiting. They'd be bleeding out all parts of their body, all orifices of their body. And the, the computer boards themselves would be completely liquid dated, as well as the film and the cameras that they supposedly showed us. Right, Mrs. Steele?
4: Well, they also discovered a third belt um, in September of 2012, which became an ephemeral belt. It actually disappeared um, with a powerful uh, shock from the Earth. So you have about 1,000 to 60,000 kilometers above the Earth, you have this source of radiation. So I don't think anyone could get through that. Not only that, you've got cosmic radiation and you've got solar flares, there's so many other things out there in the...
3: Basically, Richard, in a nutshell, the experts have pointed out that the radiation is makes it so that space travel to the moon or anywhere else is not possible without the ability to put six to eight feet of lead around them. And all they had was like three-quarter inches of aluminum, as Reynolds pointed out.
1: In other words, to the shield themselves from this radiation, they'd need... They'd need several feet of, of lead. An amount you know, of a,
3: a weight that their rockets cannot lift off the Earth at this time.
1: It's, it's, it's interesting, though, that if, if that were the case, and I, 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 don't, you know, I don't necessarily discount that, but wouldn't we have scientists and astrophysicists basically around the world pointing this out?
3: Well, that leads to the whole subject of i mean uh, the these are, NASA is a civilian front for a military agency, and as Reynolds pointed out last year, and I suggest people listen to the show, he explained how large bodies of military organizations through laws of secrecy and if you step out of order you get you get knocked off, and there 's a death list i mean it, it's it's easy to carry this off, and not everybody knows the whole picture as well he pointed out. Okay. So let's go – radiation is certainly one of the major factors. You can't – there's no direct path to the moon. Uh, You just cannot get to the moon, all the experts, unbiased scientists claim.
1: All right. The other thing that jumps out uh, is when the lunar – the the Eagle has landed, when the module came down, one would have anticipated that there would have been some sort of a a crater – Uh, a a burn print, if you will, under the lunar lander. Uh, And yet, as we watched on television, as that touched down, not only was there no burn print or crater, there wasn't any dust or or dirt on on the landing pod feet. It was just as if it it was gently set down on a stage.
3: Yeah, there's a... There is a lot of photographic errors they made in trying to fake this thing. They really decided, obviously, as I said before, last year. If you can get people to believe in the single bullet theory, you can get them to believe in a lot of other hoaxes and a lot of a lot of lies, pure lies. Well,
4: there is, was. Is, sorry, sorry uh,
1: Miss Steele. I was just going to ask: Is there some? Is there some? plausible explanation that maybe I'm not thinking of that might explain why there's no crater or burn print as the lunar lander uh, descends and touches down.
4: Well, NASA was trying to say that uh, the uh, lunar surface is very hard, that it's made of, of rock. But in fact, there is a fine dust on the lunar surface, so it should have been displaced and moved around at least and made a crater of some sort.
3: Richard, how do you take photographs on the moon with celluloid film at those temperatures, Hasselblads? They weren't cooled. They're sitting on their chest exposed to the so-called elements on the moon. So there's just so many <laughs> different things. It's a comedy. When you, people look back on this show that they did, they'll see it for what it is, that it was a pure comedy. It's us looking back on Buster Keaton films today.
1: It's interesting you mentioned the photographs because uh, from 1969 until, I believe it was Apollo 16 in 1972, yeah. which was the last landing, uh, tens of thousands of photographs were taken. Uh, it was. It w- if you do the math, it's like they had to be taking a photograph every five seconds or something. The celluloid film
3: just can't take those temperatures; it melts.
1: All right, we'll uh, take a time out. We'll come back. Nelson Thal, Jane Steele in studio, talking about the lunar landing hoax. Back with more live from the Elite City Resort in Kalamata, Greece. Uh, and welcome back, broadcasting live again from the Elite City Resort Hotel in Kalamata, Greece, just across the road from the Messinian Bay, and then behind the resort, and really all around, is uh, are the uh, the, uh, the Tahito Mountains, part of the Peloponnesian Mountains. And uh, Nelson Thal joins us in studio, along with Miss Jane Steele, as we discuss the lunar landing hoax we've just, of course... Uh, commemorated the forty third anniversary of the uh, Apollo eleven lunar landing, or did we did we actually get there? We were talking about the the lack of a a burn print or a crater as the the lem as it was called uh, touched down on the moon and uh, the other interesting thing is when it it um, uh, ascended after the mission was completed. Uh, I think it was being pulled up by a string. It was, it was kind of a, a herky-jerky kind of a, um, uh, a liftoff, wasn't it?
3: Well, there was no fire coming out the rocket. They didn't they, – they left out some obvious anom- – there were a lot. so many anomalies in, in the whole presentation, and that's one. No, The, uh, the rate of ascent was nowhere near what real phys- – the physics that the astronauts say it should have appeared. And there was no fire coming out the bottom of the engine. Uh, Ms. Steele? Well,
4: also, the temperatures on the moon are anywhere from 224 degrees Fahrenheit to 253 degrees Fahrenheit. And um, wouldn't that affect the instrument panel on the limb and also the battery? But also, the astronauts themselves, could their suits take that type of heat? The film in the camera, which was mounted on their chests, and many of the shots were aerial shots or long-distance shots. So does it really... You know, line up. Does it make sense? But you've got the light sources too, which cast very unusual shadows that don't really make any sense. Because the light source would have been very, very bright on the moon. And
3: from one source.
4: And from one source. But the shadows yeah, is once again, yeah. it's
3: like the shadow under Oswald's nose, Richard. <laughs> yeah. They don't line up. Yeah. You've
4: got.
1: Just to, for, for listeners following along at home, you've got, uh, again, you've only got one light source on the moon, and that would be from the sun, although the, the moon's surface is very reflective. However, keeping that in mind, you've got these shadows of astronauts, the flag, rocks, and other objects seem to be falling in different directions, up to 90 degrees apart which is impossible without secondary lighting, or so we're told. Yeah,
3: And Richard, I think it's important, uh, at the beginning of this segment you had played John F. Kennedy, I think it's important, we remember we stand on the shoulders of giants like Kennedy and his secret society speech, and Marshall McLuhan, who pointed out that the arts and sciences are in the pockets of these secret societies, so he's pointing out when the arts are in and sciences are in the pockets of secret societies, they can now make the world turn in whatever temple they choose, and they could control your reality.
1: All right. I just want to touch on one more, and then I want to move on to you know, the motivation. Why such a uh, hoax would be perpetrated? Why the staging of a lunar landing? The, the other off-cited uh, piece of evidence is the U.S. flag, and it appears in a, uh, an environment of where there is no atmosphere. Uh, no wind no breeze no air it it appears to be waving this right. flag as if it's in a breeze or or at least it's 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 standing one would expect it would be just sort of drooping rather than standing out, outright how, how do we explain the uh, the US flag
3: well that's not difficult to explain that's air in their their studios <laughs> They've got a sound studio sound studio has breezes run through it as the temperatures change in the studios. They aren't able to explain why it's waving. They make up some phony baloney. Well, NASA excuse.
4: said that it was in a tube and it was all rolled up and yeah. and it came out sort of bent like that. I mean that was their remember, reason behind it.
3: Remember last year what not, Reynolds said NASA stood for? never a straight answer that's right. <laughs>
4: But little details like that—not
1: little details. Those are pretty glaring, obvious things. You would think they would pick it up. They would pick it up, and they would—if they're going to try and—they were rushing and, uh, and hatch this this hoax. They would—they would pay attention to those things.
3: Yeah, but obviously they don't. You know, they don't pay total attention, and they—and they—they don't—they have enough to to make the people believe. The minute CBS News gets on there with Walter Cronkite. Uh, then it's an authoritative voice and the people believe what's told to them and the big lie is its it, this is the proof of Goebbels statement that the bigger the lie the bigger they'll believe it and uh, you can make them believe you, you've gone to the moon when it's literally impossible.
1: Okay, I've got one more thing I want to ask you. Uh, I, I hear from amateur astronomers who tell me whenever I throw the lunar landing hoax at them, they say, listen it's you know, they left equipment up there. They left the the uh, the the, the, um, the lunar uh, rover, the um, you know, that dune buggy that they were riding around on up there.
3: And the base uh, of every lunar excursion module is there.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, and if you could, and they say, you know, with a with a really powerful telescope, you can see that. You can see evidence that we landed on the moon. How do you respond to that?
3: Well, Doctor Reynolds last year said that the only way you could see it is with the with the hubble spacecraft and uh the question is remains why has it taken so long to get us a picture this is a society america's a society that's totally vain of itself and loves to show itself and how come they haven't shown us a picture yet it's been 40 years they still can't get a picture up and now if they do it it's so forensically photoshopped that who's gonna you're not gonna know
1: it anyway All right. Let's uh, uh, unless um, Miss Steele, you want to uh, comment further on that. I want to get on to the uh, sort of the motivation. Did you want to talk about the the fact that we're supposedly able to see the um, you know the the rover and other um,
4: the only other possibility is that perhaps the Hubble telescope cannot see it, but I think we should be able to see those objects. I mean, it could magnify that. I think we should be able to see them.
3: Yeah, if they were there, the Hubble could show them. If they were there, the Hubble would show sure. it. But Richard, it's also important to note that we agreed with Dr. Reynolds that we man has been able to put unmanned mm-hmm. spacecraft on the moon because they can be small enough to get through the Van Allen belt. They have very, very simple and shielded electronics. You can shield a small computer that can do this job with enough lead to protect it, but we're not talking, but we and, we and Dr. Reynolds pointed out, and he agreed that we thought that they had send sent unmanned robots to the moon. We're not saying they haven't landed unmanned robots, but no man has set forward on the moon, is what we're saying. Okay. It's so what they, they not they, us. It's the experts. Richard, we're researchers. We're fellow explorers. We go on. We go to the experts in the field and the whistleblowers. Reynolds was was followed the money. He was the top. He was in the Bush administration. He was the top uh, professor Emeritus from Texas A and M University. We go to the experts. We don't use our own opinions.
1: So, in other words, they just they they launched some space junk for, back of, for lack of a better term. Landed that on the moon so that we could point to that and say, "There's the evidence."
3: Exactly. They can always
1: say that. Okay. Well, then the big question is, you know, why go to all this trouble? Why? Yeah, exactly. Why fake a lunar landing? What? What? What was the motivation?
3: Well, that's the key. And what we've talked about this is once before, and that is uh, uh, the. Um the real threat to von Braun and his group were the was Russia and the Russians had moved ahead when taken control was taking control of space and and were starting to occupy the high frontier above their country and it was important that von Braun and his gang start to do the same and the only way to take control is not. To go to the moon, but to fake the moon landing and follow the money as Dr. Reynolds did, as the chief economics, economic uh, expert in the U.S. government, follow the money and see that the money went to put together a space warfare system, a space-based. Warfare a weapon that we're aware of, and what they've used, and Hollywood has shown. Uh, by the way, Hollywood sh- has shown many times uh, uh, at *Live and Let Die*. James Bond showed the moon hoax. Capricorn
4: One, *Diamonds Are Forever*. Yeah, *Diamonds Are Forever*
3: showed in '71.
4: Uh, exposed that it. The,
1: the Shining, nineteen eighty. Shining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we're, we're, like, well, just, let me just jump in here for a second because I'm not familiar with the. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever, and uh, I, I, I do remember The Shining. What are the hints in those movies that the uh, lunar landing was a well, hoax? There's James... no,
3: there's no hints in Diamonds Are Forever. James Bond actually goes on the the, the set of the of the sound stage with the lunar module and appears uh, behind the front, the the, the backdrops.
4: Well, he actually drives the moon buggy off a model set, <laughs> yeah. which looks suspiciously like the moon landing set itself. Yeah.
3: Diamonds Are Forever was, uh, in Fleming's movie, showed it. And Capricorn 1 showed it. So it's not like Hollywood hasn't been showing that the moon hoax was a hoax. Well, the, moon the moon landing was a well, hoax. Well,
4: Capricorn 1 was a Mars Hoax, right? Very yeah. similar, the same idea. Yeah.
1: And and uh, uh, Miss Steele, you mentioned uh, The Shining. Uh, take me back to that movie. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, where are the references to the lunar landing there?
4: Okay, in the movie, you have Jack's son, and his Jack name is Nicole's Danny. Yes. yes. And um, on the front of his uh, sweater, there is a depiction of Apollo Eleven. And it says Apollo 11 USA. Uh, and um, on the sweater, it says the words are Apollo 11. Richard,
3: Richard the whole movie is laden with so much of the of the the hotel represents america the uh, the the the, uh, the twins represent the gemini spacecraft uh, there's spaceships all through it he has apollo 11 all through it it's it's uh, heavily laden with kubrick's attempt to show that he was involved in
1: the fake i definitely want to come back to stanley kubrick yeah. uh in a moment but let's get back to again the motivation for faking this so if i'm hearing you correctly they were trying to build this space-based uh, weapon. You know, here we are at the, at the height of the Cold War.
3: Harp, et cetera. Uh,
1: and, it, and in order to hide that fact, of, you know, they're, they're obviously siphoning off millions, perhaps billions of dollars, in order to, to funnel that into this space weapon program. They have to show the American public where that money's going. They don't want to tell them about the weapons uh, program. So they create this space program, this phony... Uh, you know, mission to the moon. Is that the idea?
3: Well, the Russians were not interested in the moon because they knew they couldn't get there and nowhere could we, and they spent their time building a weapons system and a shield over Moscow. And von Braun and his gang uh, had to do the same. And um, there was no way to uh, uh, to get money from Congress by putting forward a, a weapon, making it a, a military operation, so they had to hide it. The real money went towards building this system, and just make the Americans believe that it's a civilian program, and that it, it's it's go, we're gone to the moon for 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 peaceful purposes. No, they it was just that was just the the, the cover story.
4: But there was a lot of money. Um Taken from the American people, too. it was nine point nine billion dollars a year from nineteen fifty eight. Yeah. So we're talking about trillions
3: of dollars. Eventually, you know, it became, which was which was used. I mean, to go to the moon probably cost them fifty to a hundred million.
4: Well, the Operation uh, Paperclip conspiracy was revealed in the nineteen eighties, right? Yeah. And that was uh, the Nazi rocket scientists were brought into the U.S.A. You know, in the American rock- rocketry program, and so. With all that money, they certainly had to come up with a cover story, a Black Ops cover story, and that was creating the, the weaponry that the Russians were already creating. So, And even, you know, Werner von Braun, in his book called Conquest to the Moon, stated that each rocket ship, if they actually went to the moon, would be taller than New York's Empire State Building, almost one-quarter mile high and weigh about ten times the tonnage of the Queen Mary, or some 800,000 tons. That's if they could get to the moon, and they'd need three of them.
1: That's a quote, quote, unquote. And that's
4: a quote from him. That's part of the quote.
1: My word. I would not heard that before. You mentioned uh, uh, von Braun. It's interesting. I was recently online watching uh, some tributes to Werner von Braun in, in 1970, uh, and people were referring to him as if they were trying to anglicize him. They were referring to him as a Werner... <laughs> Mark <Mont> Brown, <laughs> interesting uh, 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 individual. This uh, this Nazi who comes over. How did he? How did he find himself as the, as the head of, of NASA? I mean, who only a generation earlier this man was running slave labor camps.
3: He he was appointed by Walter Dornberger, who was his boss in Ger- in Germany, who uh, was sentenced to ex be executed at Nuremberg, who didn't. Uh, who was not uh, executed, but wound up as the vice president of Bell Helicopters. And, of course, the the connection to him and the JFK assassination is that Michael and Ruth Payne, uh, Michael Payne worked for Dornberger at Bell Helicopters. I mean, it's the connection is uh, is amazing, and of course... And the this... pains
1: were friends of Lee Harvey Oswald and, and uh, befriended him in Dallas when he got uh, there from Russia. <laughs> Listen, we've got to take a time out. Yeah. Music is creeping up. We'll uh, take a time out when we come back. Nelson Thal, Miss Jane Steele, the lunar landing, a uh, live from Kalamata, the elite city hotel. And we are back, broadcasting live from the elite city resort hotel in Kalamata, Greece, uh, where it is now... Oh, let's see. About uh, twenty to eight in the morning, and it's going to be a good one. As I look out my window, I can see uh, well, slightly overcast, but uh, those clouds seem to be drifting uh, over the uh, the Tahito Mountains, and uh, the weather here has just been uh, glorious. We've had one day of uh, of rain, where we uh, we stayed indoors. Other than that. Um, it is hot, but uh, very tolerable. I mean, I'm not someone who who does well in the heat, and I was worried about that. Uh, but the heat, you know, the old saying, it is—it's a dry heat. <laughs> it's true, and uh, the nights uh, you get a nice breeze off the Messinian Bay, so very, very comfortable uh, here in uh, mid to late July. And of course, uh, everything is in is. Uh, uh, you are we're nearing the harvest uh, for certain things uh, many of the fruits and vegetables that's the other thing I mean you drive down the road and they have these incredible uh, fruit and vegetable stands uh, you can buy uh, a watermelon uh, or as they call them here carpuzzi uh, you can buy a carpuzzi here for you know less than a euro an entire watermelon uh, and uh, the oranges are incredible uh, fresh lemons you walk down the street and uh, people have them in their backyard you uh, you need a lemon to squeeze on your fish you just you know, pick one that's overhanging the sidewalk. It's just the land of plenty, uh, notwithstanding the economic hardships, of course, we're all aware of down here. So if you can, get yourself down to southern Greece. And uh, it, the tour season is in full uh, full thrust, and uh, here in Kalamata, it's, uh, you know, you're, you, you, you're on the beach and you're hearing people speaking uh, German and Swedish, and uh, uh, they're here from everywhere and all over. And I'm glad to be here as well. Nelson Thal... Is uh, in studio along with uh, Ms. Jane Steele, two of the principals behind a, a very popular internet uh, talk show called Shock Talk with Bloom and Steele, um, which I believe is in hiatus. But we'll get some more information on that uh, towards the end of the program. We're talking about the lunar landing hoax, and uh, back. Let's let's talk a little wa- a, a little bit, uh, Ms. Steele and Nelson, how this was likely staged. Uh, I mean, how did they do this? Where do you think they did this? Do we have any details on
3: that? A couple of things, uh, Rich. Um, you just played the part of Armstrong's first uh, words. It's inter- interesting. He calls it a leap. Cause it is a leap of faith to believe in this whole thing. <laughs> a huge leap. You've got to make a, it. A, it was a huge leap, uh, what he did, to, to get people to believe this. Um, yeah, it was a big... <laughs> uh, the... Um, the, you had a quote also. You uh, maybe you could you're, uh, you could find it, Richard. You had a quote that you aired a couple of weeks ago. Aldrin had recently said that uh, they were worried not to trip over the TV
1: cable. Uh, yes, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, um, uh, which Tim, is a great. Listening.
3: They're starting to come out, and like even the principals are starting to expose the fact that it was a fake.
1: All right, uh, Tim, if you're if you're listening, I'll get you to, to get that ready, and I'll call for it in a second. Yeah, this was uh, Buzz Aldrin back in 2010, had just published another book. In this book, he's talking about uh, not only his uh, Apollo missions, but his, his, you know, his personal battles uh-huh. with alcohol and so forth. Yeah. And it appears to me, well, I mean, when I heard this clip, that that's what he's doing. He's basically admitting uh, that they didn't go to the moon. Tim, if you've got that, let's,
5: let's have a listen. He writes about his experience in an autobiography called Magnificent Desolation. All three of us decided not to participate in uh, uh, Apollo uh, 11. Why would we go there? You just get overawed, you set up a a series of expectations, and (laughs) you're you're bound to get disappointed one way or the other. I thrived on addictive substances, uh, alcoholism, and clearly that began to predominate in my unstructured life. It sounds like it may have been more difficult just to plan one human life than it was to plan that mission to the moon, at least for you. Well, yeah, it it certainly was. What a bodacious challenge confronting people on Earth. We were obsessed with doing the best that we possibly could so that we wouldn't trip over the wire that goes out to the TV camera that's recording all that we're doing. That's, That's tremendous. Buzz Aldrin. This new book is called Magnificent Desolation.
1: <laughs> Richard,
5: I mean, come on.
1: Richard, you know, this is
3: an MK MKUltra moonwalk. Oh, this guy's name is Buzz because he was buzzed on the juice, on the drugs. They made these guys believe they went to the
1: moon. But, uh, when, I, when I first played that clip and I asked uh, listeners to, uh, to send me a, an email on their thoughts, was this Buzz Aldrin admitting the landing was a hoax? And uh, I, I got a you know, tremendous response from that. And, and um, you know, I would say the majority probably said yes, was, uh, him admitting it. But a few made a good, a good point. And, and um, that is that while they're filming uh, this, um, while the, the, uh, the film camera, camera was running, Let's assume that they were on the moon. Was there not some sort of a cable, perhaps back to the between the camera? I don't know. Uh, I'm just trying to. I'm. I'm, re- I'm reaching here, maybe. But is it the
3: cameras the, were on their chest?
1: Okay, so there's you. no cable. No cable on a. No, there's no cables.
3: The cable was the one that was. On the chest. cable was the. He means the cable from the sound studio back to CBS mm-hmm. and the networks. Mm-hmm. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> I mean, come on, put this in context. He's, he, look, these poor guys. They, they, he, he mentions a bodacious challenge, mm-hmm. a leap of faith. I mean, a big leap on the moon. This whole thing is just so obvious. Eventually, it's going to fall apart.
1: As you mentioned Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, uh, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I had a documentary filmmaker named Jay Widener yeah. on the program. Uh, who's researched um, uh, Kubrick's involvement in the Apollo um, mission extensively and uh, uh, released, I believe, three different films on on Kubrick. One of them dealt with the Apollo mission. Now, Jay Widener's take is a little different. He said that, yes, Kubrick did film the landing in a sound studio somewhere out in the desert, perhaps in Nevada. I'm not sure. I don't recall. Uh, But that... Was something separate that they 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 did that because on orders from President Nixon they were so afraid that after they'd spent all this money and spent all this effort on landing on the moon that the images from the moon would somehow uh, they would break up or they wouldn't they wouldn't transmit back to Earth. So we landed on the moon, but then what people saw on their television sets in their living rooms was. Shot in the sound stage. I, I, I believe the music is uh, is uh, creepy. Let's up. get so, to yeah,
3: it so after we'll the be, ad.
1: Yeah, we'll be we'll be back. More of the conspiracy show coming to you live from Kalamata, Greece. Coming to you live from the Elite City Resort Hotel in Kalamata, Greece. It's a beautiful facility. I really encourage you, uh, if you're contemplating uh, your next family vacation or just on your own, come on down to uh, to Greece. Uh, great deals to be had here, particularly if you know where to dine. I mean, many things are obviously are expensive with uh, with the euro being, uh, you know, I, b- I believe around a dollar thirty seven. I haven't checked the uh, the currency exchange recently, uh, but it is e- e- expensive if you live here. If you're paying for heat and hydro and, 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 and gasoline, uh, but if you know where to dine, and, and um, you know the, the people here are very friendly and and, and uh, will direct you to, you know, some some restaurants where. You wouldn't believe how much, you know, the, the, uh, the servings are incredible and very, very reasonable. Uh, and, of course, you can't beat the climate or the hospitality of the local people or the scenery uh, or the history, the culture. I could go on and on. I could do an entire show about how great it is uh, down here in uh, southern Greece and a special thanks once again to the staff here at the Leeds City Resort in Kalamata. Uh, a few moments remain with media scientist Nelson Fall and uh, playwright Miss Jane Steele as we discuss the lunar landing hoax and we were talking about uh, uh, Buzz Aldrin and uh, what seems to be what seemed to be uh, sort of an admission that <laughs> they never landed on the moon. He, he talked about tripping over the uh, the camera uh, uh, cables, which one would assume meant they were filming this on a sound stage. And uh, of course, Jay Widener believes that that Stanley Kubrick, in fact, was the one to do so. Let me get your comment. Though Widener's take on this was that was the 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 filming of the landing on the sound stage was done as a backup because Nixon was afraid the images from the moon wouldn't get to our TV sets.
3: Yeah, well, you know, um, the, the as we know, as, we're, as we've said before, uh, generals, admirals, scientists, a lot of people are, are – we're not the experts. The experts have made it clear that You cannot get to the moon, but more than that. Why did NASA borrow and need and ask formally for Kubrick's camera that he used during 2001: A Space Odyssey uh, to fake the moon? His moon landing. Like uh, they all, we are all agreed that the moon uh, during the 2001 Space Odyssey was shot on Earth using Kubrick's special design camera that he built for it, which is to uh, simulate what people thought it would be like on the moon. And NASA formally asked him for that camera. And the two cameramen formed what Sherman Skolnick started as the, the moon landing hoax death list with those two cameramen were murdered afterwards. Don't forget that. These things slipped through the cracks over the years. I've been doing this since 1984.
4: Well, just take note also that the Space Odyssey came out in 1968. It was a very expensive movie. Where did he get the money to do the movie? Maybe from NASA. Oh wait, and and, his, the, and the effects. And, his
3: scientist, the, the NASA so, scientist, was on was his, his was the consultant on the film. That's right, And Udney.
4: The yeah. effects and on the set were just tremendous, and they certainly depicted very similar effects that we saw in the. And films w- that they did, and w- supposedly and, on the moon. And Widener, in his Mas- Under the Masonic Moon,
3: points out that 2001 was a psychological psyops primer to get us prepared for the phony slow motion action that they gave us on the moon. Remember, Reynolds pointed out that on the moon there's 1 6 gravity. You wouldn't have action like slow motion. Mm-hmm. And, and Widener showed how they really took regular action and then slowed it down. Exactly. So the, 2001 is Space Odyssey. Which showed all over the country f- f- uh, uh, for the whole year was a, pro- a psychological uh, pre-op to prepare us for accepting the moon landing.
4: And I also well, you
1: think ha- you raise a good point, and that is that the the photographic equipment, the cameras, the film cameras, uh, the technology was you know quite impressive at that time, and yet what we got. These images we got from the moon were incredibly grainy uh, and very poor quality, very poor resolution. You would think if they're going to, if the lunar landing is their, is the United States' triumph, its showcase in its space rate race and and uh, and the Cold War against the Russians, that they would have spared no expense in getting the best possible camera equipment up there to transmit the the you know incredible uh, uh, images with incredible resolution. And yet we're left with the the grainy pictures as if. You know, they don't want us to see too
3: clearly. And the temperatures on the moon are so high that, you, as we've said, they, they, they would not be able to bring back celluloid Hasselblad camera pictures. That's impossible. The, you take the camera and you put it into the temperatures there and the film melts. You know, th- there's no way they could cool these cameras a- enough. Uh, they had them, uh, I mean, Richard. The, the anomalies are a laugh. It really is.
1: Well, you you mentioned a death list. Uh, yeah, the uh, death you list of two cameramen. Yeah. Uh, can you, are there others associated with the Apollo mission uh, that ended up well, on the death th- list?
3: Certainly, the three astronauts Grissom, White, and Chaffee. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say something about that, Mrs. Steele? You've that's your well, Bailey Wick. You had done some a lot of study of that.
4: Well, they Grissom, the they guys. believed that Grissom was a loose cannon, that he was really feeling that they could never get to the moon. Yeah, and he said so, so. and that's what he said. He said it right out. So perhaps he's that, on the
3: death list. Those three guys, those three just, were on Grissom, the death White, list. Grissom, White, and Chaffee.
4: He actually they went, were
3: they scheduled a meeting with um, a reporter, a well-known reporter. I can't remember his mm-hmm. name right now. Who was uh, at the time writing about how it's going to be impossible to get to the moon, and that's when they got rid of these three guys on Apollo, supposedly Apollo 7, right? Yes, yeah, in
1: 1967. Yeah,
3: 1967,
4: a January A flash January 22nd, fire in an oxygen,
3: in oxygen, they pressurized it with oxygen, which is just ridiculous. Uh, it, they obviously tried to, were out to kill them, kill these guys. So there's the death list, and of course Sherman Skolnick was the one who began and was the expert on that.
1: Uh, the other question that leaps immediately to mind is, keeping in mind this was the the space race was occurring during the Cold War. Why wouldn't the Russians at the time, the Soviets rather, have taken the opportunity to utterly humiliate the United States, their archenemy, by saying this lunar landing was a hoax?
3: Yeah, and Reynolds people, I would suggest they go back and listen to the show that you, you uh – your show on this, Richard, last year, uh, in which Reynolds pointed out that a lot of the military-industrial complex organizations build parts for both the Russians and the Americans. So, on one level, the military are like at odds and enemies, but on another level, on a corporate level, they share the, say, the same companies building rockets for both companies. Just like IG Farben uh, was a, 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 a German company was it was um, financed by Rock. Rockefeller and Bush. Interesting. I never thought of that. Sure, they were
4: working point. together. Yeah.
3: I. G. Farben. None of the I. G. Farben ships on the in the North Sea, uh, the uh, were ever hit by the wolf pack. <laughs> right. The merchant mer, mer, merchant marine guys who got killed, uh, it's, if they would were working for the I. G. Farben, they were protected from the wolf pack during the World War II. Never touched. So
1: there was no war for IG Farben sailors well, uh, I, 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 everything you're saying you know uh, rings uh, true to, to a certain extent I mean I still have some lingering uh, doubts well l- it, it, last year you
3: ended the show on a great note uh, Psalm 115 from scripture uh, the heavens. The Heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the Earth he has given to the children of men. so Scripture points out that man was given earth and no heavens. the heavens are the lords.
1: right, right. I recall that passage. Uh, yeah, no that's you know if, uh, I suppose if I'm, I'm sticking to my guns with with the Bible, then I, I should discount a lunar landing. Um, I guess I, maybe I've been sufficiently brainwashed, but <laughs> um, but 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 having said that, I've always wondered. Why, after Apollo, I believe it was 16, we never went back?
4: That's a really good question. And why didn't we go back? I mean, man has gone up, and been you, about a hundred miles up, but no well, further than that. And since, why didn't
3: the Russians go? Why exactly. didn't they follow along? Everybody you know, else is trying. The, the Americans get the bomb, the Russians get the bomb. The Americans do get a new fighter, the Russians get a new fighter. The Americans go to the moon? How come the Russians never went there?
1: If, if, if it was indeed uh, filmed uh, on a soundstage by Stanley Kubrick... Uh, and, and another interesting side note is Kubrick rarely—I I believe he gave one uh, one interview to the media during his entire directorial career, which is which is rather odd. Um, but it, it has been posited by some uh, researchers that uh, Kubrick was part of that death list after he made his um, uh, movie *Eyes Wide Shut* which is sort of a, I guess, a behind-the-scenes look at the Illuminati. Uh, he supposedly died, died of a heart attack. Uh, some have su- su- suggested that um, he was silenced, that he was at one time sort of the Illuminati's official filmmaker, and then when they no longer had use for him or when, after he made Eyes Wide Shut, where he seemed to be sort of trying to draw people's attention to this secret society, that's when they decided it was time for Stanley to go, time for Stanley to die. Your thoughts on that?
3: Uh, The movie Wag the Dog is about a uh, producer played by Dustin Hoffman whose name is Stanley, and uh, he brings off this huge war, a fake war, a fake operation, and he's told that he could never, ever expose the fact that he did this war and created the war war that saved the president's political life in the movie Wag the Dog. And in the end, he decides that he is going to now. He wants the credit. He wants to have people, everybody know that he did it. And uh, it's interesting that the man's name doesn't often play Stanley. It's alleged that Wag the Dog is certainly about how uh, Kubrick just got to the point where he wanted the credit and they had to take him out. So great movie, Wag the Dog.
1: Listen, uh, always a pleasure to spend an hour with the two of you, Miss Jane Steele and Nelson Thal. In uh, 15 seconds or less, tell us the status of um, Shock Talk.
3: Shock Talk is uh, out there in the internet. We're not doing any more new shows because after 123 shows, there's on uh, YouTube. We we'll, we'll want people yeah. to to, to uh, catch up, and uh, meanwhile, we'll do some uh, private fellow exploring and back here on the show now and then when there's opportunity. And we thank you for you've just been doing a fantastic job, Richard.
1: All right, Nelson. And, uh, job.
4: Uh, thank, to you so thank you so much. I've had a blast. All right, thank you.
1: Good night. Good night. night. All right. Uh, Thanks to uh, Tim Spreen back in studio. Great job. Uh, Back next week, coming to you live from the Elite City Resort Hotel in Kalamata, Greece. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.